Back to school time is also a great time to reset for the new year ahead. This is The Focus Group. They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Welcome to The Focus Group. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host, Tim Bennett. Find us here on Wednesdays or Saturdays if it's the audio feed. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook Live, we drop the show at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Wednesdays. And you can also check out TFG Unbuttoned. It's our complimentary podcast to the main show, The Focus Group, available on Tuesdays. Everything's available all the time at focusgroupradio.com. And that's where you can learn about our partners, including Deep Discount, who we'll be visiting with later in the show today. They've been with us for a long time. Good friends of the show. And uh, unfortunately, my credit card's a good friend of Deep Discount at this point. (laughs) Every time I go there, I'm like, hmm, I think I need something there. So welcome to uh, the, as I said on this show on uh, TFGM Bun, the penal, I get to use this word very rarely, the penultimate week of August, the next to the last. Yeah, I, I think that word's always misleading. I mean, I know you, oh, I agree. you had made the mistake. Like penultimate to me, used to always think it was the, like the top, top of the, top of the crop, but it's number two. Well, it was at a super like meeting, as a matter of fact, Tim, we were presenting, um, campaigns and uh, i said now for the penultimate campaign and greg just busts out laughing my business partner the grammarian he goes you do know what you're saying don't you and i'm like this is the best of the best he goes no it's the next to the last (laughs) next to the last he you know he and uh, greg and lanoff are out of the same cut off the same cloth really well they're both grammarians and and uh you know he's always sending me something where somebody had said something wrong i did laugh there was a person that we all know i think you remember this maybe and uh, he had posted this big, he worked for uh, Visit Philly, and he had posted this big announcement that Philadelphia was now going to have the largest scar- skyscraper in the country and spelt it skycrapper. <laughs> Put an extra P in there. <laughs> Philadelphia's got the largest skyscraper in the sky country. In the country. We laugh. And Jeff just sent this along and said, hmm. <laughs> proofread you know just that's what greg used to do too like a little hmm or a mm. smiley face or a question mark as if to say look look what stupid people are doing today. <laughs> well there was a woman you know they had all the rain and i don't know if you you know i i, I go on the the chinese cult tiktok and uh they were interviewing people about the storm that was coming through california hillary yeah and they're talking to this one lady and she says well we're very concerned because if the rain comes like they say we're going to have to evaporate <laughs> <laughs> And the newscaster's like, uh, uh, evacu- evapor- evaporate, we're going to have to evaporate. Tim, yeah, we, was, we get email now and then about our use of me and I, oh, and I'm not even going to go wrong. down that road. Yeah. My mom's a teacher. I've talked with her about this, and she tries to drill it into my head, and then she just laughs, and she says, just do what you want to do. Um, but we also got dinged because we were laughing about someone not proofreading something that was either it was a company flyer or something and he said you two are the least you two are the last people on earth who should be complaining about proofreading and oh myself, shut up i'm like no <laughs> and, me and i okay half the world probably gets that wrong but proofreading is something i actually do pretty well so i took umbrage at that hey a couple of little uh housekeeping things last week on the show i mentioned these frozen waffles um and tim said you know bring them up because people have been asking about them so the company that makes them is called de de waffle bakers w-a-f-l-e-b-a-k-k-e-r-s i think that's the uh, is it two k's tim yes yeah 
And um, I'm at their website now. It's dewafflebakers.com. And it's the buttermilk pancakes. <laughs> I, I swear to God, these things are like fantastic. You know, Tim will probably post that link to our Facebook page. Tim, I don't know if you came across this in your reading or not, but there is now a way to have your own custom Oreo cookies made. Have you heard about this? I did see that. And then I, you know, they've jumped the shark, I think, Oreo with okay. all the different flavors, don't you think? But I looked, uh -huh. at, I looked at them and I was trying to figure out what you could possibly do. But did you read further? I, I just kind of scanned it. Yeah, I actually went to the Oreo cookie maker. So you okay. can actually use the website and you have to, you could either have cream filled, it could be dipped in fudge. And then it gets to the decoration of the cookie itself. And I was really wondering if there was going to be any LGBTQ themed stuff. And, I, and there is, but it's so subtle that you have to really do a double take. So there's one, one thing you could have, ink, I guess it's like an inkjet process with food dye, like coloring dye, that gets sprayed onto the cookie. It looks like a rainbow background and there's the word love in it. And I thought that's the only thing that's rainbow and it just says love. It doesn't say anything else. I thought, oh, that must be their nod towards LGBTQ. Could you put your name on it or something, too? You can no? customize it with a photo, uh, and I do a believe photo. that photo could have your name. Like you, so you could upload a JPEG or a PNG file. You could put um, like little jimmies. I, they don't, they, I'm thinking of using the wrong name. They're like sprinkles. You right. could have sprinkles put on. You could do all sorts of things. But I thought, you know, at the end of the day, you and I have often said about Oreo that the problem, if there's ever a problem with Oreo, it's that the original is one of the best, right? Yes. And there are a couple of amazing flavors they've done, and the rest is kind of dabbling in the weeds. Yeah. No, the original Oreos with a glass of cold milk. Cold milk. Done. Yeah. <laughs> and then one last one for you. Bob's back at work, um, and he, his, he and his uh, supervisor went out to dinner with one of their vendors from China. And it's like a huge uh, company that does a lot of different textiles and clothing. And they met the guy who's super, Bob said the guy is the nicest guy in the world, just loves meeting with the clients. So there's like five of them at dinner. And it was one of those things where every time he lifted his glass, they had to, you, you knew what this was. They had to do something where they had to cheer or something like, yay, or, or they had to toast it. the Japanese. To, yeah, the, yeah, so the, the next day, Bob sees his, the, the guy that owns the company, and he said, he goes, did you have a good time at dinner last night? And Bob said, yeah, that, that, the, the vendor, he was so cool and so fun. And the guy, and the boss just leans down and says, yeah, he goes, those Chinese, they love their red wine. <laughs> and that reminds me of you saying when the Japanese used to come over, they used to love like specific American things like McDonald's or they. Oh, I would always have to take them to a diner and they wanted tapioca pudding. Tapioca pudding. Yeah. And I said to them, they said, you know, they were very intrigued about what it was. I said it was fish eggs, which, you know, it's not. As a little kid, we would say that. So that, and I never knew the translators would always be going back and forth. But I, uh, so yeah, we would go and they would, uh, and you could smoke in diners then still in Jersey. Yes. So they'd have cigarette in one hand, coffee, tapioca, <laughs> tapioca extra tapioca. Pudding. Yeah. The waitress would come and she huge mound of whipped cream on it all over their face. It was wonderful. And they loved it, right? Oh, yeah. It, uh, who doesn't love a tapioca out of a diner? I agree. Yeah, I agree. So delicious. they had, yeah. So, so Bob just thought it was so funny that uh, he, he said, Should I be laughing at that comment? I said, Nothing, nothing bad about it. The China, that, that this group of Chinese people love their red wine. I said, It doesn't mean anything bad. No. Marianne, when she would travel with the French, the, who were very snobbish about their red wine. She would purposely, to tune up the vendors, get a side of ice and throw it in the, the red wine. Oh. It would drive them crazy. You don't put ice? No, not with a French person. <laughs>
She would do it all the time just to drive them crazy. Throw them off balance. What are you doing? They'd yell at her and scream. (laughs) (laughs) I could see Marianne doing that on purpose, right? Like, okay, we're going to get you. We're going to get you. So uh, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. Uh, We start with catching up, as Tim and I have just done. Uh, We move on to a segment called Caught Our Eye. We bring um, articles that interest the two of us to the table. We usually never cross paths on this one. And then we have a visit with our partner, Deep Discount, quick break. Business birthday, the only show in the universe that does that, to our knowledge. I mean, there's millions of planets, but we know of our business birthday. And then we have a shop talk this week about the... Something Tim and I have actually talked about for years, the idea that I always feel like Labor Day and going back to school is the fresh start as opposed to January 1st. So found an article that actually talks about that. So without further ado, Mr. Bennett, what caught your eye? What caught your eye? Here's what Tim and John found. I had come across this story, and the, the only way I can do it justice is if I read it. You have and to. It, yeah, yeah. And it came, it came from Yahoo, or as some people say in Philly and Richard, Yahoo. It's... um. <laughs> So I'll read the headline, and it, so it, it, the reason why I'm I'm going to read it or or it caught my eye was when I was in college and I took a journalism class. They'd often talk about the the new journalists. If you got to work in a newspaper back then in media and print media, a lot of times you were put on the obits desk, and the professor always said you got to get in, get out. Because you get in, you get out with an obit. And so this reminded me of when I read the story. I just thought it, this was a tragic, tragic event in Manhattan. But written in such a matter-of-fact way that I just busted up laughing. So the headline is, Man splits himself in half after jumping off 750-foot New York City building. So it says, A man in New York City jumped off a high-rise building and died after splitting his body in two upon landing on the pavement, according to police. Police said the witness stated that the man fell 750 feet from the top of the Deutsche Bank Center and went through the Mandarin Oriental Hotel's marquee. On Thursday night, the victim wore pajamas when he jumped. He landed on the sidewalk in the area known as Billionaire's Row in Columbus Circle, with his body split in two due to hitting the marquee. Glass and debris surrounded the sidewalk, and body parts were found across the street. An identified building employee stated, the marquee cut him in half. The building worker also said the man lived in the building, but police haven't confirmed that as of press time. Sources claim the man may have used a service elevator to get to the top of the building. Apartments in this building go between $5 million and $19 million, and some of the most famous residents include Jay-Z, Tom Brady, and the Chicago Cubs owner, Joe Ricketts. That was it. <laughs> that, was, that was totally dragnet. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts, right? <laughs> I read that, and I just, I, I just thought, you know, it, it could be any more unemotional. or and Yeah, you're right. Just the facts. It, it, you know, body parts are found across the street. He was in his pajamas. He jumped. I thought, well, okay. So, you um, selecting this is fascinating because I read this, or, and I read, I read it in, in the same dispassionate way it was written, and I thought when you picked it, I thought you'd also pick this for a, one other reason in particular, which is after our very first recording at XM Studios, which were here in Lincoln Center area right across the street, we had cocktails at the Mandarin Hotel. That's right which was like, I think their Sky Lounge is on the 15th or 20th floor or something. And we would have entered through that exact <laughs> I think that was entrance. March 28th in 2007 yeah. or something. We were in XM. It was 2008, yeah. I didn't realize that's where it was. The Mandarin Hotel, yeah. So that's, I, so that's where I walk on that block all the time. There's yeah. the entrance to my gym. One of the gyms I go to is there. It's on the way up to 
um, you know, Lincoln Center, the whole thing. So this, yeah, but your take on this and how this was just written in this really, but I mean, how else could they have approached it, right? Yeah, I mean, but it, it, yes, you're right. But I just thought, you know, he was in his pajamas and body parts were found across the street. I mean, it wasn't any, <laughs> like, you know, and then and they talked to the maintenance person in the building. Well, he was cut in half when he hit the marquee sign. The, the man, Mandarin Oriental split him in half, the marquee. Why would they put in that the guy was identified as a building worker, as if to acknowledge the fact that he could intel in intelligently state that someone crashed through yeah. the... And then they show the body, the picture I found. I mean, they show the marquee, and then they show the you know two body bags on the stretcher. Yeah, yeah, okay. That was just such. It was just one of those very matter of fact uh, articles. I just I thought, man, there was no. It was just you said you summed it up perfectly. Just the facts, Dragnet. Get in, get out. So was it what? Who played the guy on Dragnet? Was that uh, Webb? Oh, I can hear the voice and everything, and I don't. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> Because we, we were kids, and we loved Dragon. Yeah. We watched it all the time. It was like, you know. So what caught your eye, Mr. Nash? Couldn't be anything further from a, sa a, a sad tale of someone doing that. Mine involves candy. Uh-oh. And this came as a surprise to me. Uh, so you and I, when we were kids, we talk about this all the time. We would go to the store and get penny candy and stuff, yep. and it always included bazooka. My God, this gum... This is the same kind of gum that would be on the tops trading cards. You know, that yeah. little thin stick that would come with trading cards that would like snap and eventually get soft enough to chew. Bazooka was the same way, but it always had the Bazooka Joe comic with it. <laughs> so here's something that I thought was utterly fascinating. Did you know that um, Michael, so let's just, I'll backwind. Do you know who Michael Eisner was? Yes. Former chairman of the Walt Disney, Disney Company. Yeah. Huge. Also, ABC created, TV, right? ABC, ABC TV, yeah, yeah. and uh, he created a big change at Disney. He left that stage, and Bob Iger took over. Eisner was also um, desperately wanted to buy Pixar, but Steve Jobs hated Michael Eisner, sold it to Disney when Iger took over. Turns out that Michael Eisner is partner in an investment company called Apex. Uh, let's see, uh, da, 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 private investment firm, the Tarrant Company. And, a pri and he, so Michael Eisner owns shares, or he's part of something called the Toronto Company. And they owned, um, they owned Bazooka. Wow. And Michael Eisner is now selling Bazooka, or the Toronto Company that he's part of, to a company called, and a private equity firm called Apex Partners. And they're buying Bazooka for $700 million. Oh, they're and buying it? Or they, go ahead. Is Eisner buying it, or is he selling it? Selling it. Selling selling it. it. So okay. he, he bought somehow this, this financial group that he owns, this investment firm, the Toronto Company. Um, they bought into Bazooka many, many years ago. I think it was back in 2007. He's held on to it for a while, obviously. <laughs> and now he's selling it. And they're asking, you know, they're, they're, it's being snapped up for $700 million. Wow. But I just thought that the, like you and I, like sometimes that I think it's interesting to see who owns what, right? And, and to have Bazooka being owned by the former head of Disney, Michael Eisner. And you know, these people, they, they make so much money when they're doing this. Like as a CEO, he made a ton of money. You have to wonder yeah. what they do with it, right? So he apparently invested in this group. They bought Bazooka, uh, amongst other things. But could you imagine going to a cocktail party? Like, what do you, what'd you do today? Well, I'm selling yeah, Bazooka. It's all Bazooka. 
I was looking, it said here that um, it was owned by the Topps Company, as you mentioned, with the trading cards and whatever, for, for many years until it was sold in 2022 to another group. So they must have been selling it again. But it, I was trying to figure out where they make it. I was trying oh. to see. It does say, all it says is USA, 76-year-old brand. I laugh because the picture you showed here shows the, um, shows the comics. Mm-hmm. And I thought this reminded me of the Frank DeCaro thing of keeping the funnel full. Can you imagine oh, you're, the, yeah. you're at Bazooka? Oh, my God, I got to do another comic for the week. I, I did another Bazooka joke. <laughs> I wonder how many times they recycled those comic strips. I, I thought the same thing. Like, Did you 10 years later re- rerun them all again? Are they old? You know, Herman, you've owned you've owed me fifty cents for months. So this has got to be an old one, right? I know, Mort. I'll tell you what. I'll forget half of what you owe me. Fine, I'll forget the other half. Ha 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 ha! For kids, right? Yeah. Herman, you've owed me fifty cents for months. I know, Mort. I'll tell you what. I'll forget half of what you owe me. Fine, I'll forget, forget the, other, the half. other half. But um, bump. Uh, the uh, article uh, said that um, Tops, when it was originally being, when they were originally uh, being manufactured, was done in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, I don't know if that's where they're doing the uh, bazooka and the Tops chewing gum now, but but Tops still exists, and oh, obviously yeah. bazooka does as well. But I just thought that was one of those funny little weird. Things. I always liked the taste of. I always liked the taste of it. I did not mind bazooka. I have to admit, it, it's and once you got past that breaking your teeth, losing your dental work thing of chewing it. <laughs> Remember, it was like a it was like a piece of lead in your that mouth. It was hard, yeah. <laughs> and we all know why bubblegum is pink. When we did that with one of our business birthdays, mm-hmm. that uh, that was the only dye that they had in the lab at the time. Because otherwise, <laughs> they said chewing gum would be kind of a gray color. Yeah, I think pink is better, don't you? Oh, yeah. But imagine if they had green or blue. I guess in the in the lab, maybe that's what yeah. gum would be. <laughs> so as. Uh... We've mentioned here before on the Focus Group, um, Deep Discount is a partner of ours here on the show. We would like you to shop at their site by going to oursfocusgroupradio.com. Click on the Deep Discount logo. takes you to their site. We get some credit for that. And you can start your shopping adventure. Uh, this week, one of our favorite sales is the under 10 and budget sale, they call it. And there's a lot of great finds here. So what did you come up with? So yes, at uh, Deep Discount, you can own your passion. Not that it's my passion, but it's something I'm interested in. It's classic commercials and i stumbled while i was looking through this uh, this budget sale an under ten dollar sale there was a dvd that came up it was released in 2011 it's called smoking classic cigarette commercials and it's uh nine dollars and ten cents and it's on dvd and it says uh this was a time there was a time when cigarette smoking was considered healthy and endorsed by doctors also accepted uh in many social occurrences and cigarette commercials were on TV and just about everywhere. Magazines, you remember that growing up. They said this compilation of classic commercials from the 50s and 60s covers all bases. Doctor, endorse, doctor endorsements, comedy, social events, and smoking in the workplace. The commercials represent an era that, is, that used to be seen weekly on the Mad Men TV series. And giving what's known, these commercials provide a cautionary insight into how people will buy anything and how pervasive peer pressure can be. So it's a whole reel of, um, of the cigarette advertisements from the 50s and 60s and the celebrities that used to endorse them uh, as well with the doctors. And you so always forth. find some fun stuff. This, this is interesting, huh? Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty cool. I remember seeing the Flintstones did one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I Love Lucy, but when they would go to break, they would do these cigarette commercials. Uh, Jackie Gleason with the Honeymooners or some of his shows. So 
But yeah, they would always talk about the taste and how great they were and how it gave you a pick-me-up and all the other great benefits of, of smoking, of course, without the- How doctors are recommending it. <laughs> right, without the, without the cigarette hangover in the morning. You know, you, so yeah, so that's what I picked. Smoking, classic cigarette commercials. All right, good one. I picked um, a movie called Conspiracy. It was released in uh, 2001. Kenneth Branagh, Stanley Tucci, Colin Firth. It's got an amazing cast. 90 minutes. And um, it was right. Re- I've picked this up. I picked up the recommendation from a guy named Michael Warburton on Twitter, who's an actor who posts all these wonderful uh, snippets about movies. And this is one of the movies he posts about frequently and about huh. how it, it's a must see. The acting is fantastic. And I'll just give you the rundown. On January 20th, 1942, at the height of the Second World War, 15 government officials and SS commanders attended a conference on the outskirts of Berlin. It was a simple meeting, which by the end would decide the fate of six million lives. Conspiracy is based on the only surviving record of that meeting, and it would be the blueprint for Hitler's final solution. So it's all these guys in this room, and and the sections that I've seen of it are just gripping because they're talking about how do we make this legal? How do we get the courts to come along with us? Because, you know, th- this is the, we well, you know it's Nazi Germany. So every snippet I've seen of this has amazing acting, and I've never been able to see the whole thing. So it's on DVD for $8.03. Mm. It's, it, it's, I think it looks great. I'm going to pick it up. And I also picked one other movie out of the sale because I can't believe it's this inexpensive. Uh, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, here he goes. Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling. Uh, It's for six sixty seven on DVD. If you have not seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I think you will actually really like it. Um, I picked this for two reasons. I love the movie, but I also have a sentimental reason for this. I think it's one of the last movies I was able to take my mom to. Um, And I and I what I mean by that is take her out to lunch. We went to this theater in um well we were in Southington actually Tim. And um, big, big chairs. And I remember at the end of the movie, we sat there for like 10 minutes and she was dissecting and she loved it. She loved the cinematography, the whole bit. So two reasons. I love Boy, it. Boy, is the she story. a good sport. Yeah. No, she, well, she <laughs> loved it. I'd have been out like a light. <laughs> You'd have left me there snoring. <laughs> she was awake the whole time. Loved it. You took me um, to the very first Blade Runner. I think yes. it was you you and Lee Farnison and, and Watertown. Watertown. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know these people. I, <laughs> Because you were fascinated by the Blade Runner and Leaf, and I was like, oh my God. It was very dark. uh, I just remember being dark and people zooming around. And a lot of rain. Yeah. Yeah. Blade Runner was dirty and (laughs) grimy. And there is a new release this week, and it's called uh, You Hurt My Feelings. It stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. Though New York City novelist Beth, who is Julia Louis-Dreyfus, struggled with her second book, and therapist husband Don, who's Tobias Menzies, scuffled with his practice uh their codependent home life kept its equilibrium that changed after beth happened to overhear how unimpressed her spouse was with her current opus and left both questioning career and couplehood uh so this i had heard about this movie and you know i like most things that julia larie dreyfus is in from seinfeld forward so i think this could be a good pick a a movie to pick up it's on blu-ray for 1849 Perfect. So, uh, so to get to Deep Discount, head over to focusgroupradio.com and click on the Deep Discount logo. You'll see it there in the margin, and uh, you can start owning your passion. Right now, this week, they've got an under $10 and budget sale 
happening. The uh, new release, as John mentioned, is You Hurt My Feelings on Blu-ray. The, uh, the movie I picked um, was Smokin', it, uh, classic cigarette commercials on DVD. And then John couldn't decide. He picked two, uh, Conspiracy, which is a World War II uh, period piece, and uh, Blade Runner 2049. And uh, so you can get those for under $10. And uh, actually, I'm shocked that Blade Runner is only, let's just say, $6.47 yeah. or $0.67. Cents. That's pretty darn Six, good. 67 Yeah. For the DVD. So, right, for the DVD. So head over to uh, focusgroupradio.com. You'd be able to uh, find all of those uh, movies and more at deep discount. And again, we appreciate you going through our site because uh, they support us and we get credit when you shop through there. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a business birthday to talk about and also a shop talk related to back to school. So stay with us. You're listening to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. Now back to The Focus Group with Tim and John. Available pretty much everywhere. Welcome back to the Focus Group. John Nash with Tim Bennett. Focusgroupradio.com is the only thing you need to know about us. You'll find all our media there, including TFG Unbuttoned, our Tuesday complimentary podcast to the show, The Focus Group, which you're now listening to or perhaps watching on YouTube or Facebook Live. Uh, Without further ado, the only show in the universe that does this business birthday. Everyone does celebrity birthday greetings, but the Focus Group is the only show in the universe that celebrates business birthdays. So this is the time of year that I hate most because for whatever reason, there is, it's, it's very difficult to find a birthday. And I spent probably way too much time trying to dig up a birthday for August 23rd. Uh, so August 23rd, it's uh, the birthday of Harry Frank Guggenheim. You know Harry Frank Guggenheim? Is he? Is this who the Guggenheim Museum is named after? Well, he's part of the Guggenheim family, and I didn't really know much about him. I still really don't, but I so I did a little research on them. Uh, he was born August twenty third, eighteen ninety, uh, born in West End, New Jersey, the uh, second son to uh, the famous Guggenheim family ah. um, in New York City, and uh, he died January twenty second, nineteen seventy one, at eighty years old. An American businessman, diplomat, publisher, philanthropist aviator and horseman so i was trying to figure out exactly so you you come from one of these wealthy families and foundations and money and so forth and and you know how do you make your mark so says he graduated in 1907 from the columbia grammar school in manhattan and then attended uh, school at yale he left yale to go serve um, as an apprentice at the american smelting and refining company in mexico which was one of his family's companies so i'm doubt he was really working too hard perhaps um, he then resumed his education in England at Cambridge, and uh, where he ended up getting his, his degree, and ended up um, going into the military as well, serving as an officer. In 1924, his parents had established the Daniel and Florence Guggenheim Foundation, and he was then made the director and president. And so now he was in charge of this large sum of money. And so what he did with it, which I thought was, um, I had no idea about any of this, of course. He sponsored Robert Goddard, who was working in private research on liquid fuel and rocketry for mm-hmm. spaceflight. So wow, you could, okay. So the, is... so the Guggenheims supplied the money um, and established the very first aeronautics school 
and it was done at NYU in 1925. And uh, Guggenheim, as president of the fund, had given uh, upwards of $3 million to study um, aeronautics and to study the fuels that would be needed. And uh, later, they what this allowed them to do is uh, one of the airlines that uh, they supported, private airline, would begun, uh, they began to operate the first regularly scheduled commercial airline flights in the U.S., it also provided the establishment of the first weather reporting that uh, was exclusively done for passenger planes. So they t- he took this money from this foundation and helped fund essentially air travel uh, in, the, in the U.S. and the study of aeronautics, which I thought was quite interesting um, and good use of the money, of course. He later became ambassador to Cuba, and uh, he did resign in 1933. He was ambassador from 29 to 33. He had a tough time in Cuba, and actually this is one of the final things he said to, at the time, the general uh, Morales, who was running Cuba, the Cuban dictator and president. He uh, encouraged him not to murder too many of his political enemies. The, um, That's advice, right? In 1929, Herbert Hoover, a president, also appointed Guggenheim to serve on the National Advisory uh, Committee for Aeronautics, a position he held until '48. And he continued to support the United States aviation uh, progress, again, through the Guggenheim Foundation. Also set up the Jet Propulsion Center at the California Institute of Technology and also the Aerospace Propulsion Science Center at Princeton University. He also, for fun, had raised thoroughbred horses, um, had Kentucky Derby winners and a very um, elite group of, of horse breeders. His family also purchased, or he purchased with his wife, Newsday, or founded the, the newspaper Newsday. And uh, he let another person run it for a while and got upset because he thought it had too much of a liberal bent, particularly as it, as it uh, is the coverage of Vietnam War. It was very anti-Vietnam War, and he was upset by that as being a supporter of Richard Nixon, it said. So he ended up selling the newspaper Newsday to Times Mirror Corporation. I actually looked up the Guggenheim uh, family to see, and they, it says uh, the Guggenheims were known for making their fortune in the mining industry in the earliest 20th century, especially in the United States and South America. Today, there's still the Guggenheim Foundation today. In 2023, it manages over $300 billion in assets. The other family vehicle, the Guggenheim Investment Advisors, oversees an additional $50 billion in assets. Can you imagine? Amazing. $300 billion. And you don't hear too much about it anymore. Do you know no. there's the Guggenheim Museum? He ended up dying um, in something called Bright. He had Bright's disease. Mm. They said it was cancer, and then somebody said it was Bright's disease, which is a kidney, a kidney disease. And then someone else said it was cancer, so maybe it was cancer of the kidney. He's buried in Brooklyn, New York, at the Salem Fields Cemetery. But uh, when I, I was shocked when I read the uh, amount of money that that the Guggenheim family still controls in terms of assets, I thought it was. That's quite, that's quite that bit. number. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard that before. What was it? Three hundred billion. Three hundred billion. It says it, yeah. It says the um, the Guggenheim Partners today, twenty twenty three, manages over three hundred billion in assets. Another family vehicle, the Guggenheim Investment Advisors, oversees an additional fifty billion in assets, and they made their money in mining in the earliest twentieth century, especially in the United States and South America. That's amazing. They, yeah. So it. it uh, yeah, I, I I remember as a kid going to the Guggenheim, but I haven't been. Have you been? Oh yeah, recently yeah, I've gone or? a couple times. I, I was there several months ago with Bob. Um, 
it's a beautiful, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright designed yeah. the building and it's a circular, you know, it's like a Nautilus shell you go up. I, I, it's, it, it's a challenge for artwork because we like to look at art like straight on, but if they ever hung it the way the ramps went up, I mean, it's, it's a great space. It's a great space. And, uh, but my God, the fam- I didn't know the family was that wealthy. Yeah, I had no idea. That's why I looked it up because I just, I had no idea. And I thought, hmm. I wonder what's going on here with and the, they left where the behind, money come like, from. Such a legacy, right? I mean, yeah. Well, the whole Jap- the whole aeronautics, the, 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 they put their money toward aeronautics, which I thought was uh, and rocketry with Goddard, right? Right. Yep, and propulsion and all that sort of stuff. So, but uh, yes, good business uh, birthday. Happy you're, birthday, you're, you're Harry Frank Guggenheim. Yeah, it was. I wonder why August is so dry because September is a busy month. There are two times of the year where just for some reason, I'm sure somebody could do a do a study on this because they always talk about astrology and where there's certain, there's either a wealth of people that cluster around um, different birthdays or different times. But there's two times of the year that I always struggle. There's one in the spring and one in you know this this August. I struggle to find birthdays. Maybe it's because of uh, this would have been, he would have had to have been conceived in November, right? Oh, see, I didn't think of that. So maybe with the holidays and Thanksgiving, people are too busy. <laughs> no one's interested in like having a child then, but you know, or maybe, I don't know that that, because it lands in, that would land in August for birth, right? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, if you're famous out there, do something. If you're born August 23rd or this let this week, yeah. this penultimate week of August, let us know. <laughs> Correct use of the word. Thank you, Tim. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, I mentioned earlier that our shop talk today is going to feature something about going back to school and how the back to school mindset is something we could all benefit from. So the article I found uh, was in Refinery29. It's by Sarah Youngblood Gregory. And it says, how we can all benefit from a back-to-school mindset. Gearing up for another year in college can feel a lot like New Year's Eve. There's anticipation, some nervous excitement, and the knowledge that change is soon to come. Much like January 1, September is always a good time to take stock of your personal and academic life, make new goals, shed bad habits, and assess new opportunities. This back-to-school mindset is fertile ground for personal growth and positive change, as there's no reason it has to end by the time October rolls around. And she kept it, the rest of the article we're going to talk about, but she kind of kept it in the parallel universe of college and school and thinking that way. But Tim and I have often said um, for years now, uh, unless I'm totally mistaken, that that I I view Labor Day or the end of summer as this kind of reset, not January, not New Year's Eve, but I think of September as a time to start getting new things done. And Tim, you feel the same way. We've always looked at the back to school time as kind of the reset. I've done it for making a goal with running. I've done it for weight loss. I've done it for a number of things different than January 1st. I don't know if January 1st to me just has such a um, stigma to it where everybody's, oh, I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to do all this stuff. And it's the dead of winter, at least in, in many parts of the country, where it's just cold and miserable out. And all the excitement of the holidays is over. So to me, the back to school is more. Um, more encouraging or more uplifting than kind of like the holidays are over. Now I got to get back to eating properly. Dot, dot, dot. Back to school is more uplifting, more positive, more change transition. So that's how I've always looked at it as you have too. And uh, so this article says the same thing about employing that mindset. Be helpful to kind of jumpstart um, whether it's your career, whether it's physical, academic, uh, emotional, uh, wherewithal. And so they, they gave, th- didn't they give three different? Yeah, um, they did three. 
Yeah. The, f- the first one was acknowledge the transition and invest in your mental health. I said, even the best prepared among us go through a period of adjustment when you're starting something new. Begin by acknowledging that every new start represents a new transition and accept that there will be and often are bumpy learning curves. And, uh, but to, um, to let yourself understand that when you start a new transition, even though you plan things out to make sure that um, you take care of the basics of your hygiene, your nutrition, all the other things around it, and then plan your time, knowing that you might have to adjust. That's, that's, yeah. That was my takeaway from the... the and and to, to marry it back it. to her parallel universe of college and school, this one struck me in that same section. Rising college students are simultaneously confronted with seismic changes on all fronts away from the safety and security of family and friends, all while being asked to navigate new frontiers of personal, academic, and professional development. And it just brought me back to freshman year, which was exciting, but it, it was like totally chaotic on some right. levels. Every, everything you knew was being turned upside down, right? Right. And then, and then when you went back your sophomore year or something, you felt you were better prepared, but... Um... <laughs> But, I don't, no, but, you, but no, there were different things, right? Different things that came. Different came challenges. At, different yeah. challenges. And this, what this says is, you know, accept that there will be bumps in the bumps along the way and you need to manage them, but don't take your eye off the, uh, the end result. The uh, next um, area she covered here uh, is to make a realistic plan, but don't panic when it's time to adjust. So it's take stock of the resources, people, and non-negotiable things like classes or a job that are in your life. Then ask yourself what you want more of and what you want less of. Then she jumps ahead and said one of the best ways to achieve that or to answer that question of what do you want more of, what do you want less of, is to reverse engineer the goal. So if you want to, if you're going to run a marathon, you know you need, I'm just going to make it up because I don't run, but three or four months of training work backward from that goal and that's going to fill your calendar with the appropriate um, workouts and runs and check-ins with your coach if you have a coach or something like that and i'm simplifying it by using a run but the idea here is you know set a goal reverse engineer it and figure out how you're going to get there and don't be afraid to alter that course when things push it off to a different direction and we all know that the best laid plans of mice and men are surely doomed to fail right right And the the third one is focus on balance, not FOMO, which is the fear of missing out. This one for me, uh, this is one where I still need to to personally work on, I think, because I can find an easy way to get distracted or to um, find something else to do rather than, you know, procrastinate, I guess would be Mm -hmm. the lack of the better word. But it says, um, for instance, if academics or work needs to come first when you're doing your plan, make sure it takes priority on your calendar. So they're telling you to put together a well-organized calendar. I know you do this, or you try to do it. On Sundays, I do, yeah. And build out your free time from there. So in other words, if you have priorities, whether it's work priority or academics, if you're at school or whatever the priority is, make sure that you block that as the time to get um, the priorities done, and then work around adding in the extracurriculars, whether it's gym time, social events, dinners with friends, whatever, and that... um, she says, remember, it's okay to miss some things as long as you're able to maintain a balance of fun and goals. And I, I used to marvel at kids in college. I remember I would be up early Saturday morning at 6 a.m. or whatever, running to the dining hall and then going to, to rowing practice. But then I would also see 
a handful of kids that were up the same time with their backpacks going to the library on a Saturday morning. And I thought to my That was not me. <laughs> no. But I remember those kids and I thought, man, you know, and then I thought, well, I'm up as well. I'm doing something different. I'm I'm going to row, but I probably should be reading my economics book. Mm, you know, Tim, you also had a job. Yeah. Didn't you work for the orientate? Didn't you work for? I worked uh, in the admissions office. Yeah. And you did tours, and you yeah, uh, you I helped also kids. Did phone phone money for the advancement office. No, I did I did a lot of that stuff as well. But I I often said if I I I was not the greatest of students. I um I did okay and I got by, but um I, sometimes I wish I had taken it more seriously. You know, I I almost made that. What was the golden key thing? The valedictorian or salute? I don't know or, what it is. Or, or Phi Beta Kappa. It was some society that you got. Yeah, Phi Beta point. Kappa. Yeah, I almost made it. I was off by you know a point or two on my grade point average. Wow. Do, you know, I look back now, and does does the grade point average mean anything? Not no. unless at that immediate time you wanted to go into grad yes, school. Correct. That was yeah. the only time. Now it's like you know that's my favorite speech uh, George Bush gave at Yale when uh, he was president of the United States. And uh, he was he was greeting the um, doing the graduation speech, and uh, he said, "For all the valedictorians and salutatorians and A and B students, congratulations! You worked hard. You you know won the race." And then he says, "And for all you C students, you too can be president of the United States someday." <laughs> <laughs> the crowd went wild. <laughs> By the way, that's fertile ground for interesting stuff like the graduation speeches you've seen. I've seen Steve Jobs. I just saw J.D. Pritzker. Um, it was either a year or two ago or just recently he gave one that was fantastic. The Bush one you're referencing is great. And on this fear of missing out or easily easily distracted, like I, you said, you're easily distracted. I did something once that was a fascinating experiment, and that was I had to get something done. And I went to the Performing Arts Library at Lincoln Center, and all I brought with me was a pen and a pad of paper. And I sat at a desk, and I thought, I'm going to write everything so you took no laptop or anything? No laptop, no iPad. I turned my phone off and I just sat there like we were back in college with right. no cards or something like that. And I got to tell you something, it was excruciating. Really? Our brains do not like, they love being distracted. Our brains yeah. love being distracted. I find focus really hard sometimes. Some people achieve it effortlessly. Yeah, I did get what I wanted to get done, done. I wish that I had not handwritten everything because when I went back to transcribe it, there were some sections I could barely understand. <laughs> and then I thought, I should take a handwriting class. And then I thought, no, 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 no. This is crazy. But yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I, and we had one listener many, many years ago who said the dread is worse than the deed. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think of that all, all the time too. There's things I'll put off, put off, put off. And then I do it. I'm like, hmm, that only took me an hour. I thought it was going to take me 15 hours, but I thought about it for three days and I probably should have just done it three days ago and it would have been an hour and it had been done. Mm -hmm. But I guess you don't change those habits. I don't know. I try to. I think you procrastinate sometimes. Well, you as your mother I... said, if there's something you don't like to do, you won't do it. Isn't that what your yeah, mom well, was saying? That, that actually is totally true of things like academic studies. Yeah. You know, my mom yeah. was, to other teachers in the region, she'd be like, it doesn't matter if John's not doing well because he doesn't like it. He does well in things he likes. <laughs> yeah. John's not doing well in math. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't like it. Like it. <laughs> Which, you know, that now that would be taboo to ever say that, right? Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, 
So thanks for joining us today on the focus group, John. That was a good, uh, good shop talk about uh, back to school mindset. So uh, appreciate that. Thanks for all of you for listening uh, to us here each week. Be sure to check us out at focusgroupradio.com. You'll find all of our media there, including our podcast, TFG Unbuttoned. We're also going to post the name of those pancakes that John mentioned. De I'm go waffle Bakers. De waffle Bakers. And I'm going to have to go get some. They're probably Dutch, huh? Do waffle bakers? I don't know, Tim. You're going to find out that they're probably made in Parsippany. Right. Well, you know that. <laughs> or Paramus or something like that. Exactly. And, uh, and also, be sure to check out our friends at Deep Discount. They have an under $10 uh, and budget sale going on right now. The new release this week is You Hurt My Feelings. I had picked a, uh, a, a DVD called Smokin', Classic Cigarette Commercials, which uh, has old cigarette commercials from the 50s and 60s there on DVD. Also, John picked two movies, Conspiracy, which is a World War II-based um, movie, and Blade Runner 2049. So you'll find all of that and more at Deep Discount. We hope uh, all of you are enjoying your summertime. And uh, if you're in bad weather, please stay safe. Also, don't text and drive. Arrive alive. And uh, we see a lot of that craziness on the road. So everyone, have a great week. And uh, we'll see you next time here in the Focus Group. It's the Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Accessible on all platforms. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.